So I was, I was praying about what to talk about today, and, um, and I started down the path of, uh, of looking at what the Bible says about the refugee crisis, and I'd started to prepare based on that. And at the time, I was listening to some music, and a, and a song by Casting Crowns came on, and it was called, What If His People Prayed? And as I was listening to it and preparing, it, it struck me that, that that was really the message that I needed to bring today. What if his people prayed? The song says, What if his people prayed, and those who bear his name would humbly seek his face, and turn from their own way, and what would happen if we prayed for those raised up to lead the way? Then maybe kids in school could pray. And unborn children see the light of day. What if his people prayed? In so many situations, prayer is a differentiator. Now, I'm not saying that for every situation we just pray. We need to be prepared to be an answer to, prepare, to prayer as well as to ask God for his intervention. Martin Luther said, pray as if everything depends on God and then work as if everything depends on you. Now, before we delve into the readings a little bit, I want to talk about corporate prayer for a minute. And I think there can be a fear of corporate prayer. There's a really good way of stopping people coming into the church building, and that's to organise a prayer meeting. And and I think people, you know, worry about prayer at home groups and worry about corporate prayer. I was praying with the band this morning, and uh, Mike said, "Right, who wants to lead us in prayer?" And suddenly everybody takes a step back. And so I just want to show this this little clip that that might explain what I mean. <coughs> Oh, hey guys, it's time. I'm going to get started. Before we get going, I thought we would open up in prayer and kind of go around the room. Steve, would you mind starting? Uh, I don't want to jinx it. Okay. Yes, Gene. Uh, my roommate from college has a job interview Okay. Tomorrow, and this guy's granduncle is sick of his cat's wheezing. It we needs, pray for that. needs some sort of surgery or... Uh, anyway, his granduncle is, is trying to sell his Camaro to, to pay for it. Yeah, we can pray for that. Whoever feels led can start it off. Why don't we, why don't we go ahead? my shoe.
Dear Lord, Lord you go. go ahead. Oh, okay. okay. No, no, you, you go. go. Okay, okay, I'll go. Dear Lord, we pray for the Camaro. There you go. Bazooka! How's this happening? Bazooka Joe likes bubblegum. Bazooka Joe likes bubblegum is chili! We pray for the cat, amen. Alright, everybody, we're making some progress. <laughs> no, I think that that's the sort of Im- image that can come into our heads sometimes when we think about praying together. Um, you know, even in elders' meetings, we've sometimes it can be who's going to pray, who's going to pray, or uh, and I think sometimes we can put ourselves under pressure, thinking we have to say something that's really poetic or wonderful or insightful or deep. That's not what matters. It doesn't actually matter if you pray out loud at all. You know, God is is much happier to listen to a silent prayer from your heart than to a verbose, poetic prayer that doesn't come from the heart. Whenever you're praying, you're just talking to God. It doesn't matter what you say. The important thing is that we do pray. So many amazing things will happen if God's people will pray. Throughout the book of Acts, we read of the amazing power that was experienced by the early church. Throughout history, the men and women of God have experienced great power. And I believe what we need today is is more prayer. I don't mean the awkward, I've got to say something prayer feeling pressured to pray it's got to be you've got to want to pray and it's got to be a communication with God so we're looking at what if his people prayed and we'll start with the the reading from Acts if we can if we can get that on the screen Colin so the re, first of all the reason for prayer So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened at the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So James, one of, one of Jesus' faithful disciples, had been arrested and beheaded by Herod. And now Peter is in prison facing the same outcome. The Jews at that time hated the gospel. They hated the new church that was spreading that good news. Herod's persecution was was a real political advantage to him at the time. The people loved that he was persecuting the the Christians. 
And the church probably realised as well at that time that if Herod was, you know, it started with um, with James and then moved on to Peter, that they were probably all in the firing line. So. <clears throat> The church at that time had a, had a real need for fervent prayer. But I think the church today has got a real need for fervent prayer as well. We still live in a time where Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith on a daily basis. But we live in a time as well where the church in the developed world is in decline in our own country. In 2014, there were a million people going to Church of England services on a weekly basis. In two years, that figure has dropped to around three quarters of a million. That's over a 20% decline in two years. In the 2011 census, 59% of the population defined themselves as Christian. That's dropped from 72% in 2001. In 2011, one in four people said they had no religion, up from 15% in 2001. Now, those numbers sound disturbing. They don't tell the whole story. You know, anybody who's, who's done any statistics will know that statistics are a really good way of presenting your own point of view. You, you know... There's that saying about lies and statistics. They don't tell the whole picture. They don't talk about the cultural shift that perhaps 20, 30 years ago, people would have said that they were Christian because perhaps this was considered to be a Christian nation. So they would just have identified as Christian without actually being Christian. There are other types of church that aren't being counted in those numbers. There are what are called fresh expressions of church and, and different ways and different denominations, different ways of experiencing church. When um, I, I took Ellie to the messy church here this month, and that was a massive blessing. You know, we had, the, the building was full. We had a, a congregation at messy church that rivals the, the congregation on a Sunday morning. It was an amazing blessing. People who wouldn't come in the main, or, or in many cases, people who wouldn't come to this sort of church service. Having said that, the numbers are still worrying. We need to pray for our church. We need to pray for our church, God's church in this country, but we need to pray for this church. We need to pray that we'll find the right minister. We need to pray that we will have the time and energy and patience to continue until then, to keep things going. We need to pray for all of those people who are being persecuted. We need to pray for all of those people who don't care. So that was um, so. So the next bit is the responsibility of prayer. So in, in verse five, it, a really key verse there. P- 
Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So the but was prayer. That was the difference. We read that the prayer was made without ceasing from the church to God. And as we go through it, we'll, we'll realize that even after Peter was released, the church was still praying. I think being responsible to pray, there are three sort of key parts to that responsibility. The first is that our prayers must be intentional. That church at, at that time had one goal for Peter's release, and that's what they were praying for. They, they didn't go and, and have a list of needs. They weren't praying for the car or for the whatever. Not, not even a, a sort of a generic prayer for world peace. It was a very specific, intentional prayer. Not that there's anything wrong with praying for world peace, but, but just to be, you know, really tell God what it is that you really want. Our prayers must be intense. That doesn't mean that we have to pray out loud in church. It means that we have to mean it. It's got to be earnest prayer. It's got to be fervent prayer. In, uh, in James's epistle, James chapter 5, verse 16, he said, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And finally, I think our prayers need to be intimate. The, the early church got together and they prayed to seek help for their brother and their leader. And it's our responsibility to pray for each other. And we should do that intentionally, intensely and intimately. So... We've looked at the reason for prayer and the responsibility of prayer. As we move on to verse 6, we can start to look at the result of prayer. So verse 6 says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood to guard the entrance. So whilst the church is praying for him, he is in prison there are two soldiers, one on each side. He's bound with chains and, and actually he's fast asleep. Did you notice that? Peter was sleeping. You know, <laughs> he's, about to be, he's about to be tried for some whatever and, and probably put to death and he's having a good sleep. He seems quite relaxed for somebody who's about to have his head chopped off. But Peter knew that God was in control. What's the worst that could have happened to Peter? The worst thing is, he does have his head chopped off. And then he's gone and he's with Jesus. He's with his saviour. Meanwhile, back at the church, the church is still praying. So, you know, what if his people prayed? Well, we're going to see that prayers, prayers are answered and people are amazed. 
So in verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. So the angel appeared, gave Peter a prod and said, get up, and the chains just fell off. There's probably times we don't feel like praying. We need to pray. There are times when we don't feel like we're getting through. We just need to wait and pray. There are times when things just seem too bad to pray, that we can't get through them and that prayer can't possibly help. A colleague of mine who who wasn't a Christian, he, he meditated and he told me that his philosophy was to meditate for 30 minutes every day unless he didn't have time to do it, in which case he would meditate for an hour. Now I'm not proposing that we do that, but what I'm proposing is something similar but with prayer. So I propose, my proposal is that we try and pray every day unless we haven't got time unless things are too difficult then we make sure we pray those are the days we need to pray if we haven't got time to pray that's when we need to pray i can't tell you the number of times for me that that's really worked the most recent example and it's a bit of a petty example but on on friday i started work i looked at my diary i had back-to-back meetings from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. In the middle of that, I had to give a presentation that I hadn't started to prepare for, um, and I had a number of other things that I had to do that day, documents that I had to write. And I looked at it and I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to manage? And so I spent a little bit of time in prayer. And this has happened before. And the presentation that I needed to give on Friday was moved to Wednesday next week because my boss couldn't make it. Now that had an amazing knock-on effect on my day because it meant that I could, not only did I not have to spend that time in that meeting, I then had that time to do some other things. And actually then the meetings that had between 3pm and 5pm were also cancelled So I ended up starting the day that I couldn't work out how I was going to get through finishing early on a Friday and and having a relaxed day or a relaxed evening. Prayer can be amazing now. That's not an earth-changing need. But I have to say I was pretty stressed on Friday morning. It it mattered to me then. And God, um, God was able to answer that prayer. In verse 9, Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. So at this point, Peter thinks he's, having, he's seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, 
Now I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter was amazed. In verse 12 it goes on, and, and Rhoda, the, um, the, the servant, she was amazed. She went to tell people and they said, you're out of your mind. It must be his angel. So you've got this church praying, please God free Peter. And when he knocks on the door, they don't believe it. But they were amazed when they opened the door. And then finally in verse 18, the soldiers, the commotion. You wouldn't want to have been those soldiers. So Peter went to Mark's mother's house. Rhoda heard his voice and she was excited. She ran off and left him outside. When they finally saw him and finally believed, it was because of the prayer. But even so, they were astonished what God had had achieved and what he'd been able to do. Sometimes, I think that we, we can ask God to do something, like my, like my concerns on Friday around my meetings, and we can say it's coincidence, and maybe it was, but I can tell you that's not the only example. There's, there's dozens of times when that's happened. Now... God works in, in amazing ways and we need to be allow ourselves to be amazed by his power and the way that he answers prayer. If you put yourself in the position of those soldiers, they might have needed, needed a prayer. When, when they woke up to find Peter was gone, there, were, there was a team of four soldiers guarding him, two of them chained to him. You know, they're going to be thinking... What happened? Where's he gone? And probably the most important, how are we going to explain this one? Some people probably look at us and think we're wasting our time when we cry out to God. Perhaps even that we're a little bit crazy. But if we remain steadfast and faithful and we cry out to God, it's amazing what he can do in our lives. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have any problems. But it means that God will be with us when we do. There was a famous preacher called C.H. Spurgeon, and he preached for over 30 years at a church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And hundreds and hundreds of people went to that church, and every year hundreds were baptised. And, and one day some, some students who were training for ministry turned up at the church and, um, and while they were waiting for the doors to open, um, Charles Spurgeon came out and spoke to them. Um, I, don't, I don't even think they knew it was him at the time. And he said, would you like to see the powerhouse of the church? And I think he yeah, probably thought he was a bit strange but said okay, thinking that he was going to show them the boiler room or some, something. So he led them down into the basement through a long hallway and opened a door at the bottom. And when they opened the door and looked in, there were hundreds of church members in that room praying for the service that was about to happen. 
And he said, this is our powerhouse. In the second reading in, in Psalm 107, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through it because I'm, uh, I'm already over time. But it's just a really good example of, in the Bible of people calling out to God in prayer. But, but one thing that struck me is that I found this quote from Connie Ten Boom, who's uh, written some amazing books, if you ever want to read them. But she once said, is prayer your steering wheel, steering wheel or your spare tyre? And, and for me, I have to say, it's somewhere in the middle, probably closer to spare tyre than I would like to admit. It's like, it's like if you're asking a friend for a favour, it's much easier to ask that friend for a favour if you're in regular contact. It's a lot harder to phone somebody who you've not spoken to for 20 years and say, could you just help me? You know, I do try and pray every day. Some days I'll start to pray and realise it's been quite a few days. So as we, as we draw to a close and ready for our final worship, I just want to offer a couple of other quotes. So one is from a guy called Francis Collins. He's the, he's the head of the National Institute of Health in the, in the US. And actually there was a lot of opposition to his posting because at that point he was a, he, he's, he, he'd become a Christian. Before that, he was the head of the Human Genome Project that that worked out how DNA worked. He became a Christian during that time because he didn't like Christians, so he set out to prove that that faith was a load of bunkum and uh, and came to faith doing that. Uh, And he said, for me, prayer is not an opportunity to manipulate God into doing what you want him to do. It's an opportunity to have a conversation with God to try and get in tune with what his will is. And my last quote is from General Robert E. Lee, who was a Confederate general in the US. Now, he was a supporter of slavery, and I find it really difficult to to like some things that this guy said when obviously some of the things that he said and did were just wrong. He was also the inspiration for the General Lee Carr in the Dukes of Hazard. So, you know, a difficult guy to hate. But, so, but what he said was, knowing that intercessory prayer is our mightiest weapon and the supreme call for all Christians today, I pleadingly urge all our people everywhere to pray, believing that prayer is the greatest contribution that our people can make in this critical hour. I humbly urge that we take time to pray, to really pray. Let there be prayer at sunup, at noonday, at sundown, at midnight, all through the day. Let us pray for our children, our youth, our aged, our pastors, our homes. Let us pray for our churches. Let us pray for ourselves that we may not lose the word concern out of our Christian vocabulary. Let us pray for our nation. Let us pray for those who have never known Jesus Christ and his redeeming love, for moral moral forces everywhere, for our national leaders, Let our prayer be our passion. Let our prayer be our practice. So basically, 
he's just summed up everything I've tried to say for the last 20 minutes or so in two lines. Let our prayer be our passion and let our prayer be our practice. And if we can remember that, we'll be doing just fine. Amen.